a lot of Northmen are going to be really happy that their na- nipples are still attached to their bodies because there's leather. <laughs> Actually, have nipples on a breastplate, yeah. G'day and welcome to Krakencast. This is the Oceanic branch of the Vassals of Kingsgrave Game of Thrones review series. Today we'll be discussing episode 3 of season 7, entitled The Queen's Justice. My name is Duncan, or Valkorst on the forums, and today I am joined by... Dana, Team Dana on the forums. Sarah Lady Weaver on the forums. This is Bing, uh, Shana on the forums. I'm David, David HHH on the forums. And this is Jed, Jedo Whitehart on the forums. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. So we've got a mix of Aussies and uh, honorary Krakens on. Um, so we're starting with the third episode, obviously, but uh, did you guys have any thoughts on the first two episodes you wanted to share? Were you positive, negative? How do you think? I thought they were both really good. I thought it was been a cracking start to the series. Really, really enjoyed it. It's really say it's good a... not knowing what's going to happen. And... Would you say it's a Kraken? Kraken. Oh, series. <laughs> Swish. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at this point in a show, you kind of just turn your brains off and just enjoy it for it for what it is. Right. Because right? I mean, it, it's 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 not the novels anymore. It's it's gone past. They're they're making their stuff up. It's fun. It's great unless, fun. Yeah, I'm loving it. Yeah. Unless it's really bad, then it still annoys me. But otherwise, it's good. It's good. I think it's just been great so far. I mean, not everything's perfect, but it never is. And that's fine. Fine with me. I enjoy it for what it is. And the things that aren't great aren't great. But it is really hard to compare it to the books, though, because it's just such uncharted territory. It's right. like all these things we speculated were going to happen. Yep. But now actually right. seeing them is so weird. Um, it doesn't right. like it obviously feels like a bit of a diluted version of it. Like you don't obviously have all of that the rich writing mm-hmm. that you know Martin would put into it. But it is there's definitely some fun right. scenes. Right. Um, I was I was happy with the first episode. Like I thought it, it wasn't it didn't like wow me, but I thought it was like a really good setting up episode. There's some really cool scenes. Last episode I was actually mm-hmm. pretty negative on. Like I thought a lot of it was especially the Danny stuff I thought was really weak writing and really tedious and not a lot happened, but I think the the final like ten minutes saved it. Like I thought that that big battle with the Greyjoys was awesome. Like one of the best battles of the show so far. Yeah. So that was that was really cool. Um, right. But let's give our lemon cakes for this episode. Uh, who would like to start? Dana, do you want to start? Four. I, I, it's, I, I'm not a very convincing four, but <laughs> normally by episode three. Uh, I've done the drop-off, so previous seasons, like the first season always starts off strong-ish, and it's a good setup. and then by season two or three, uh, episode two or three, you're just, it's back to the grind, and that hasn't happened yet for me in this season, because it is a condensed, like, there's a shorter number of episodes, and they know what they want to do, so I feel like it has a lot more momentum, so I'm enjoying it a lot more, uh, but that's a four in comparison with previous seasons. Uh, overall, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think I give it a higher rating just because Jamie's ass and you're on being a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about that, I probably would say 4.5. <laughs> uh, Sarah? 
I'd probably say a four as well. Yeah. Because I just jumped into this episode. I haven't seen the first two of this season yet. Hey, <laughs> definitely qualified to be on this. Um, But jumping into it, I think it stood up on its own. And I think you could actually just jump into this episode if you've seen the other series and understand it, most of it quite well. The only bit that was a bit confusing, which was the Greyjoy bit and the Sand Snakes, but everything else, it was really easy to just jump back into and the dialogue was good enough most like most of the dialogue i really liked and i didn't think they said anything stupid so that's an a plus <laughs> uh bing our kraken alum what did you think yeah back back again um yeah so i think 3.75 i go a little higher 3.85 whatever somewhere about, <laughs> around there. no be specific um, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can keep going to the, the, the yeah, no. Um, I think at this point, the write, the character writing, they're almost kind of circling just the, the sort of the same archetype. Like John would say, oh, you're brooding, you're moody. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're smart, you like to talk. And so it really depends on the actors themselves being able to really elevate that character on their own. Because the writing itself, it's kind of eh right now. Um, so, but there were a couple of really, really good scenes in which the actors in it were really, really good, I feel like. And that really lifted this episode. So yeah, I think the most of the scenes are whatever, but there are a few really good ones. Uh, David, what did you think? So I'm kind of torn between four and four and a half. So I'll give it four and a quarter. Mainly, I'd give most of the episode a four, but I think that the um, that the um, particularly the ending yeah. with Olena, and also I really loved the stuff with um, Alaria and um, and Cersei. So I think that gives it that extra quarter. <laughs> I'll have to go for uh, 4.5. I think I, I really enjoyed the episode. I think a lot happened. There was twists. There were some great scenes and great moments. And especially Elena at the end was. Uh, amazing and Cersei was fantastic as well so. and some of the people that don't act very well in the show or my least favorite actors I thought <laughs> sort of uh, stepped up their game in this <laughs> yeah <laughs> not to mention oh. and Kit I thought I thought he was much better than he normally was this this episode so I, yeah I, I really enjoyed it yeah um, I think I'm with you guys four out of five lemon cakes um really good ep- a big improvement over last week's episode as I said um Obviously, the meeting of John and Danny was long awaited, and I think it was pretty well played. I think there was like a decent chemistry between them, as you said, Jed. I think the the actors kind of stepped up to the plate. Um, I like how the episode was sort of about like the tension between like nursing past grievances and trying to prepare for the future. I really, I'm really digging the rise of like Cersei and Euron as these really formidable villains and the way Danny's campaign is just completely fallen apart it's I really like that subversion <laughs> right um and the show it's interesting because the show is moving very fast at this point which is sort of disorientating especially mm-hmm. a lot of the geographic stuff but I think the episode yeah. a nice nice balance between um character interactions and intense action sequences which are pushing the plot forward I think this is my favorite of the season so far definitely um, yeah, definitely. But let's get into the the meat of the episode. So we'll probably just go by location as we as we have in the past, starting with Dragonstone. So I'll just give a quick recap. Uh, John and Davos arrive on the shores of Dragonstone and are greeted by the hand of the Queen Tyrion, who escorts them to the throne room. Uh, Melisandre watches from a far-off cliff, pleased to have finally brought the two monarchs together, but eager to return to Essos lest she incur John's retribution. 
Danny asks John to recognize her as the rightful queen of the Seven Kingdoms and join her in the fight to depose Cersei Lannister. John rebuffs her, claiming he is king in the north, which is now an independent kingdom, uh, and that he seeks an alliance against the far greater enemy north of the wall, the Army of the Dead. Danny becomes angry, but John is steadfast. The parlay is interrupted by news of the attack on Danny's navy by Euron Greyjoy and the capture of Yara and Alaria Sand. Uh, Tyrion mediates tensions between John and Danny. He is skeptical of the existence of the Night's King, but vouches for John's character. He convinces Danny to allow the Northmen to mine obsidian from Dragonstone as an act of friendship. So, a pretty big moment for the series. What did you guys think? I was really happy to actually see John and Tyrion back together and that Tyrion still has a soft spot for um, for John being a bastard. And yeah, it, I think it means that he'll still definitely have a soft spot for Bran as well, being that all, all cripples and dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. So I think that it was nice seeing that again. Yeah, that was almost funner than seeing... John and Danny just seeing Tyrion and John back back and forth and just bantering Agreed. like it was really it was really fun um, <laughs> and I feel like Tyrion as a character has sort of not had a lot to do since season five he's sort of just been subsumed into into Danny's entourage a bit um, so it was nice to to get a bit bit of character from him yeah but now that he does things he's fucking it up royally uh, <laughs> he is right uh, as a military king seriously yeah, is, is he is he just going to go like back of the pack Tyrion, just back of the pack. Uh, I mean... But, no, it, it happens for other reasons, but I, I it's more about Jamie than uh, Tyrion's ineptitude, I think. Like, he's being outsmarted, but he's already intelligent, so, you know, he's playing a hard game. At, at the same time, though, you have to wonder what Tyrion is bringing to Danny right now and what she's seeing in him. I mean, for, she left him in charge of Marine and came back and it was a total disaster war being attacked and she had to save the day and then appointed him hand to the king. I mean, the queen, sorry. And then he's come up with these great plans and we've had just kind of disaster after disaster right now. So what is Tyrion bringing to the game here and will she put up with it? Yeah, it's a good point. I think from Danny's point of view, at least, he was able to, like, he has, like, a decent knowledge of politics in Westeros, so I guess he's been educating her about the situation there um, while they've been traveling to, to Westeros. But, yeah, these are some pretty major stuff-ups. Maybe it brings up the fundamental difference between a good political advisor and a good advisor of war. Because right. clearly he's good at politics, but maybe not so good at war. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But as well, why would she even really make him her hand? I never thought that particularly made sense. Or put him in charge of Marine when she left. Or how did he even really get in charge? Because no one knew him. He was just a noble from, from back at Westeros. And he shouldn't even really be in that circle, to be honest. Like That's what I never really thought. And I always thought it was a bit that Danny's trusting someone that she doesn't even necessarily know and is putting him in a position with that much power. I think the show uh, and the show's writing is now make, often making a mistake of tell and not show rather than show and not tell. Because when and you often see this, even in the very first meeting, in in the meeting between John and Terry and the start and the start of the episode, they're kind of just throwing their I don't know Wikipedia entry of themselves back <laughs> of, of each other acting together, and. And, and so they, they're kind of relying on the, the viewers to think, oh, Tyrion is smart, right? Tyrion is the smart guy. He's, he's good at politics. 
so he should be the the hand of the queen even though all of the actions that Tyrion has done so far doesn't that suggest that there, there's no reason Danny should trust him to be the king the hand so um I think that's one of the show's major weakness they want to have Tyrion as the hand as the advisor they're trusting that the viewers would just accept that because they have in their minds from the past season based on a novel. The past season that's based on the novel's writing, character writing, that Tyrion's a smart guy, that they would just go with it. Right. But this, the, the scenes they've actually written for him after um, basically post-book mm. has not lived up to what Tyrion's character has been before. Yeah, I think from the viewer's perspective, we know that Tyrion's a smart guy and good at politics, but Danny hasn't necessarily seen that, so it doesn't really make right. logical sense why she would appoint him to such a high position, or at least hold him in such high esteem. Um, I can't, I'm sort of trying to remember last season what he did. He, he was able to sort of quell the the uh, Sons of the Harpy, wasn't he, in, in Meereen? Didn't he and Varys do a bit of wheeling and dealing well, with some of the people there? And, and said, yeah. I mean, yeah. And then they attacked. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was yeah. the slavers. That was the external enemy. But he was like, wasn't, right, but... wasn't there something about he was able to bring peace inside the city and get econo- the economy back up or something like that? And then the slavers obviously attacked, which wasn't good. Like, uh, think, uh, yeah. But maybe that's like a point. I think Varys, yeah, Varys but... caught the, the spy or the, the person, the insider for, right. for, the, for the harpies. And, yeah. Right, because that guy. Varys did it with Tyrion. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he bought a bit of time for him in Marine, didn't he? I think Right. He's proved himself, like say, in politics, but militarily he hasn't at all, really. I mean, he's got the, the Blackwater um, managed to right. sort of she doesn't that know one, that. which he reminded yeah. uh, Davos quite sweetly in, in the right. scene. That was quite good. Um, but he, he's, he's been caught on the hop twice already, hasn't he, really? militarily so that was actually one of the things i liked about these scenes wasn't so much necessarily everything that happened but i liked all the little references they threw in like blackwater and uh davos being a little uncomfortable given that his kids died there because of Tyrion, and like little bits like Tyrion asking about sansa and how she was doing and letting john know that uh, we didn't do it (laughs) and little moments like that or the or like the look on varus's face when melisandre is talking about um talking about uh, that you know you will die here too and how he seems to be a little uncomfortable around the around the oh, red women. I loved that face so much. Right? He was just, he was just, <laughs> oh, bitch please what are you right? doing? Um, and all I wanted I, I just wanted like a Davos like Varys moment where Davos like oh yeah this is what she did and Varys is like wait wait hold her boat uh, I had issues <laughs> with someone burning my junk and she burnt an entire child nah 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 she's dying now um, but well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I do agree. Like all the little comments that were happening, uh, John and Davos, where he's like Ixnay on the art, like art a thing. Just <laughs> they don't need it, you know. Um, I really liked that. Uh, and there was yep. something else. What? Oh yeah, it's just like Tyrion. The past couple of episodes of all the military failures. I just think it would be interesting to see what happens with him for the next couple of episodes. Now, is he right. is he going to be pulled up? by Danny, is he going to doubt himself? Uh, so that that should be interesting to say. Yeah, because so, Elena yeah. plants the seed of doubt in Tyrion that he's too like cautious and that Danny needs to, to be the conqueror, and I think this will definitely aggravate that. I, I loved I loved that like John and Davos had legitimate uh, reactions to dragons because everyone right. every time you've seen dragons they they've been so used to them and no, no, that that's fall, like falling flat in your face that's a yeah to a dragon right. roll yep that, would, that the, would, would the Dothraki still would the Dothraki still be like yeah yeah it's a dragon I I would think they'd still be a little nervous wouldn't you 
<laughs> I, I once heard a tiger roar at the zoo, and I have never had the impulse to run the other way so quickly. Uh, just when you hear something that shouldn't ever be heard by humans if you're not about to die. Uh, so I liked that about the dragon. I love the bridge that they're walking up on the way to the yeah, room, and the way the, the camera sort of receded and winded back and forth, back and forth. That was beautiful. It's like, this is the best Dragonstone has looked in ages. Like it always looked quite dull when Stannis was there, but now yeah. it's this quite epic place with the hills and the, <laughs> the, the place to well, Everything money is now. when Stannis is around. <laughs> they have yeah. money now, think... too, which helps for that's the show. True. The show has money now. <laughs> Do you think that's also because of how they just like portrayed Stannis? And they related him back to being at Dragonstone, so they dulled it down. And because Danny's coming over, and they really like to ramp up Danny, so they prettied up Dragonstone a fair bit and made it very stunning. Because otherwise, they should have had similar shots back in previous seasons. <laughs> that causeway reminds me of a uh, Tintagel. It's a very similar castle that's sort of out off the headland, and there's like a narrow way up to it. I don't know where it is. I'm assuming it's in Ireland, the one that they're using. But it's great to see these old castles and uh, it being be involved. Spain. Could be Spain, but probably Ireland. Could be, yeah. So one question I have about this stuff is, do you think this is it for Melisandre for a while? I mean, she seems to be heading to Volantis. Are we is, are we done with her for the year? Or is she going to like have some secret thing? We know she's coming back to die, or so she says, but... You know, are they going to get rid of her for a while? Because no one's in Essos right now. Yeah. Dario's in Essos. Well, true. <laughs> Maybe they'll meet. Off. There you go. They'll meet. It only takes like twenty minutes to get to. Hey, she can. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think like going somewhere means anything anymore for the show. She'll be part back next episode. Think about anymore. how much travel happened in this season, in this episode alone. I mean, we've been all across the freaking continent. Ever since Stannis died, it seems like Melisandre and Davos don't really have anything to do. So I think it probably is best that that Melisandre leaves just because she, otherwise she'd just be filling seats. Da- Davos is quite interesting that they've given him the role of Jon's right-hand man, and it makes sense given that he knows Dragonstone. I think, I think it works. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I, I found uh, Melisandre leaving a little strange in that they gave her no reason to leave. They could have had her just right. hiding out in the backgrounds or whatever. You know, when Sam left the North, he was leaving to get knowledge. She's just going back home, sitting on a couch, eating some twisties, and then coming back to die. Right. Well, she did say, I've done my part. I put ice and fire together. And then, you know, she she seems really full of remorse for the mistakes she's made, particularly a certain um, girl she burned. (laughs) And... So, I mean, I feel like she's just completely doubting herself now. I mean, we've seen her depressed ever since, you know, we saw her as an old lady there. And I think she just doesn't know what to do now. She has no faith. And without her faith, what is she? Well, she's still alive. So I'm looking on. She's going to church camp and then coming back full of hell and brimstone. She's got to do something. Yes. She's got to do something. Actually, yeah. I'd be kind of excited if she came back full of all the firepower and everything. I'd be super ex- excited to see her come back for the last season and go toe-to-toe with some of the White Walkers. Sounds great. And then she dies. But <laughs> right. That'd be really interesting. Well, she does say that she's going to die To see Westeros. what she can do. Right. So, so she yeah. may, that may be planting the seed for later in the towards the end of the series. 
But uh, John and Danny, any thoughts? I, I think both of them make really smart moves. Uh, so you had John not bending the knee, therefore his army wouldn't be under the control of Danny, get decimated, and then the North is, you know, just is not well equipped enough for the coming army of the dead. And then I think Danny was really smart, being like, well, you know what, you can have the Dragonstone, but I will fund it, I will give you the men to mine it, and I'll do all that. So it also means that she can hold the, the dragon glass hostage in a way, uh, and she has a bargaining tool with John. So both of them aren't doing as well as they hoped, but both of them are in better positions because of their decisions. Uh, I, I do think if John bent the knee, the Northern Army would just end up like the Dornish or right, yeah. yeah the Tyrell army yeah uh, right. and, and this does... if if Danny let John just do whatever she wouldn't have any bargaining chips with him uh, it would all be on the well I gave you something are you going to give me anything in return you like no fuck off I've got my dragon glass yeah. you could also whoop, 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 whoop. You could also argue that this is the one thing Tyrion has done that's worthwhile is actually give them a little compromise here. He set this up and it happens. We'll see where it goes, but presumably, hopefully, it'll go well. Yeah, doing it's it's good at, isn't it? yeah. Right. I um I thought it was good how the scene was shot because Danny presents herself as obviously the superior character in the room, up high on her throne and giving herself that massive title. But the, the fact that John sort of stays steadfast and refuses to kneel and kind of draws her down off her throne and they talk to each other as equals is interesting because they both have a sort of similar amount of power. I mean, obviously, Danny has more because she has dragons, but they're both coming at it from a very fixed point of view. They've both had their own experiences and they can't step away from that. But the fact that, yeah, Tyrion's able to sort of parlay a bit of a bit of a compromise is um, interesting. Like, they're getting closer and closer. And then you see the later scene where they actually sort of talk in private and they, they're a bit more informal. Yeah, I think John did the right thing exactly there, really. I, I don't think the Lords of the North, if he had been the knee, I don't think they'd have stuck with him, really. I think he'd have lost them, most of them. So, and that's the way politics works a lot of the time when you're talking in public. Yeah. You have to sort of present the facade of the, you know, the lords and kings and stuff, but it actually gets done off, you know, off to the side where you have a little chat. I thought, like, I think the whole scene worked well. I thought Danny and John both acted that really well, which is mm -hmm. a plus, definitely. <laughs> it's not their strongest points, especially John. <laughs> I actually thought that why can't he just compare the White Walkers to Danny's dragons? Because if he puts it that way, he's far more likely to convince her of the White Walkers because he is saying something's real that no one else believed in is actually real for a very long time. Whereas she brought back dragons to life. So it's quite a similar thing. I think she came to that conclusion on her own at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like they're going to have to go somewhere. He's going to have to go prove it to her. And that's probably some of the stuff we've seen in the coming attractions from the trailer from the season. Yeah, he's got to prove it to her. I mean, how is he going to get her up there? Is she going to, she could fly up and have a look for herself, really. But they don't seem to want to let her go off, even to attack fleets and stuff. On her. Yeah. The dragons need to come into play well, somewhere, don't they? At some point, Tyrion needs to up. get back to his uh, saddle designing business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> safety saddle for the awesome. dragons, because I'm sorry. It's just safety first, Danny. Safety first. You fall off one of those and you're done for. Just. You know. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could uh, get a little sidecar for Tyrion and John. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, like the two fat ladies—they can travel around cooking. Um, 
<laughs> well, there are still two other dragons that need saddles, so. <laughs> and they can take Davos with them, so they always have onions. There you go. <laughs> Danny makes a good point, though. Uh, I, I mean, Davos. even though the White Walkers are obviously the more powerful threat, they haven't actually invaded, whereas Cersei is just massacring, massacring people left and right. Like, it's the more imminent threat. It almost doesn't matter if you protect right. the wall and defeat the White Walkers if Cersei just kills everyone behind the wall. So it, it is important to actually right. address the, the Seven Kingdoms you're trying to save, as well as protecting the borders of the Seven Kingdoms. So I think they will. Well, for anyone not in the north, the White Walkers aren't the imminent threat. For everyone elsewhere, Cersei is. It just really changes on your location what you think the biggest threat is. Yeah, it's all about perspective. John has one perspective. I mean, Cersei's has a pretty powerful. Different... Yeah, exactly. Cersei is just a name to him, but it's it, she's not a name to Sansa. Um, Sansa knows what Cersei is. Right. Um, I thought it was. As she keeps pointing out. I thought it was strange, Danny's approach here, because in previous seasons she's said things about, you know, I'm going to break the wheel, I'm not going <laughs> to rule as my ancestors did, but she's kind of inciting her ancestors in order to to subjugate the various houses. Like, you know, this is this is when the North bent the knees. This is how it's going to be. But I mean, John can just say, well, the the Targaryens would depose. You no longer have any legal claim. The Baratheons have the, right. the, uh, the throne by right of conquest, so legal matters don't really have much matter, and he especially, did. To, especially to the Northmen. Um, and he did say yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. good job, John. And he made the legitimate that. argument that when you burned my grandfather, you kind of broke that treaty. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. I did like Danny apologizing for that. I, I think that shows how different she is trying to make herself seem to the other Targaryens. I just get really annoyed at the writing that has her kind of understanding that Ned Stark is a good man and then she just forgets that for the sake of argument when it suits her and brings up the fact that Ned was probably okay with Robert sending assassins after her. And yeah, I, I don't know if that's shoddy writing or as a character, they're allowing Danny to pick and choose how she addresses different characteristics of people. Uh, I think she does pick and choose. Well, yeah. how much does she really know what's going on? I think it's shoddy writing. And I, I also got I to think imagine. It could be both. Well, everything Danny says is kind of said as a political performance. You actually, you don't really get any scenes private right. with Danny. Everything's sort of said to a court. So even if she doesn't necessarily believe it, it's all kind of this rhetorical device. This is how I'm going to convince you by citing these these arguments. Um, so it is hard to hard to tell. I wish we did get more of Danny the character. It feels like we haven't seen the real Danny in seasons and seasons. She's right. just this kind of speech delivering messianic figure. Go. Which is why I love the fact that her campaign is completely falling apart. Like we've seen her being invincible for so many seasons now. The fact that all her allies have been conquered so deftly by Cersei. I'm hoping next next episode we get a good scene between her and Tyrion going, okay, what's going on here? We need to talk, and we could get maybe what she's really thinking about this, you know, because we haven't had that yet, really. It's always been, like you said, this performance. We don't get the her fears, her, you know, her anxieties, what's going on. She just has to perform as, I know the thing, I'm in charge, let's do this. You know, in the books, we get the doubts, you know, but we can't hear her thoughts. And as well, with Jorah coming back, she might he might be the person she voices her fears to because he has been with her the longest. True. Mm-hmm. And she knows that he will support her through everything because he has for years and through everything else. So. 
And at the speed everyone moves now, he could be there next week. <laughs> Yay! Good job. <laughs> right? <laughs> he could be there next week. It's only he won't be there next away. week. He will be there next week. <laughs> right? Anything I had? Has anyone noticed how tanned Varys looks? He looks a lot yeah. browner than he did before. <laughs> That's because all the time he spends on ships lately. I don't know, but uh, that's what I thought it might have been. Because I'm like, dude, your makeup looks terrible, man. (laughs) Well, Marina's from the south, so I was really hoping it was. He's been on ships. He's sunburnt. It's been all the wind in his face and salt spray because that makeup does not look good. And they don't have sunscreen. Or his face was just really dirty and he'd been pretending to be a jailer. That could work. (laughs) I'd give them that one. All right. Uh, Let's move on to King's Landing. So Euron Greyjoy parades Alaria and Yara through the streets of the city all the way to Cersei's court. Appreciative to have wounded Danny's campaign and gained a potential ally, she grants him his request for marriage once the war is won. Cersei poisons Alaria's daughter as revenge for Marcella's murder and then ravishes Jaime in celebration later that night. The next day, she meets with the Iron Banker Bravos to discuss the Crown's considerable debts. She warns them that Danny is a poor investment and convinces them that they will be repaid by the Lannisters shortly. Um, so I'm I'm loving Evil Cersei. I think I'm really impressed with how <laughs> right? oh, yeah. I'm really impressed with how competent she is and how efficient. It's almost like she's been waiting for this moment her whole life. She's always had to mediate her power through men, but now it's just like all her. She can do whatever she likes, and she's killing it. Yeah. Right, feeling invincible. She is doing a good job, but I have a bone to pick with her saying she'll marry Euron. Well, did she? Unless know? she's planning to stab him in the back. <laughs> But did I she? Think she is, yeah. He After said he'd the war get, is won, you'll get what you She want. said he'd get his reward. She said he'd get his reward. She didn't specify what that reward would be. <laughs> um, no, but with that, even implying that she'll marry him, um, I thought it was very hypocritical or against what she stands for because um, after Robert, she never wanted to marry someone for political gain again. She went up against her father saying she did not want to marry um, one of the Tyrells. Gov. Like, she really... Loras. Loras. It was Loras, right? Yeah. No. Right. There's only one right. right. in the show. But she did not want to marry anyone else for political gain. And now she's using it as a political leverage, which is something she was against. So I find that kind of annoying because I think it would have been great to see her use another avenue to get her power or another way to get what she wants. But in her mind, she wasn't. She was just using him and she she's never going to. I don't think anyone thinks she's really going to do it. Right. Any of us, at least, you know, he yeah. may. So in her mind, that's not really playing that. She's not really giving in because she's not going to give it to him. I hope so, because I'll be so upset if she does so. I really hope Agreed. she's being smart and manipulative. And Elizabeth yeah, the I'm I'm first assuming. was uh, teasing marriage to different prospective uh, husbands well after menopause. <laughs> well after. You know, she, she was able to play people play with people with that because you know she knew they wanted the power that she could grant them uh but she wanted to be able to use them and yeah she did it for so long just so long uh almost to her dying day it was only in the last couple of years of her life where she stopped um kind of playing around with that dynamic and that was only because she had to execute one of them 
but, but, but that's the thing. Like, that's, I, that, that's just what I think Cersei is doing. Like, that's what women in power can do. You know, it's, it's not just a dynastic, dynastic marriage. It's, you know, prove yourself to me. And, yeah, I might come through with that promise. Does anyone think that Euron believes her? Like, we don't believe her, most of us. But do you think Euron actually believes that he's going to get this? Who is Euron I don't think Granger? so, but I think he's going to make her do it. Or he'll get something on her to force her to marry him. Mm-hmm. That's Thanks. what I think is going to happen. I don't know who Euron Greyjoy is on this show. Euron Greyjoy is a <laughs> oh, cartoon yeah. character right now. He has absolutely no... He's, he's only characters. He's violent. Honest, he's, he's a, and he really wants to marry a queen for some reason. He, he likes to mock Sir, uh, Jamie. That's that's all his yeah. character so far. The actor is having so much fun with that. Clearly. Yeah, I think I think that's the best part of watching Euron is yeah, he's a cartoon character, but holy hell, that actor is having so much fun. It's a re- I know. It makes you know, you know Osbach is a really, really good actor. I think I wish they have a, he has a better character to actually hang on because I feel like his acting is actually doing more work than the writing is in giving life to Euron Greyjoy. I think he's much better yeah. this season. I, I, don't, I didn't That's like true. the casting of him originally. Yeah. It really annoys me he's got a different accent to the rest of his family. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why he's they been did that. For so long. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, no, they grew up together, so... It... <laughs> He picked it anyway, up in his <laughs> and he is a bit over the top, but I think he's like he is a mixture of Victorian and Euron, isn't he? So, yeah. but I, I think he's going to betray Cersei. I think he's going to. It's this Game of Thrones, and you're always expecting the unexpected. Somebody's going to betray somebody, and that's all I can see happening is him uh, switching to Danny at some vital moment. So anyway, I can see Danny getting back into into the game really I cannot wait for Jamie's I told you so moment (laughs) right just a look at his face what I don't understand about Euron is okay if you if he really wants to get Cersei right who would think that taunting and teasing her brother lover is a good way to accomplish that it just doesn't make any sense but he's chaos so I guess chaos is so much fun to watch it's sort of a dynamic we've seen in previous seasons where you have this kind of lawful evil character like Tywin or Lord Bolton or like the High Sparrow and then you have these sort of chaotic evil characters like Joffrey and Ramsay and the sort of uh, the aristocratic position will try and use the chaotic character to get retribution or do dirty work or things like that but the the chaotic figure often turns against the um, the lawful character. So, like, Bolton gets stabbed mm-hmm. by Ramsay. It sort mm-hmm. of gets out of hand. So I like that idea that Cersei's... I guess you could see it in the mountain as well. She's used this this evil creature as a weapon, but it might actually turn against her. So he, as much as she might be thinking she's playing Euron, he might think he's playing her. Um, so it might come to a head, even though they're succeeding at the moment. I don't... <laughs> I can't see a happy ending for those three. No. I wonder if he's going to end up going, as you said, he's kind of a mix of Victorian and Euron at the moment. If he ends up going full Euron by the end, he's like, this is just a facade that he's using and, and teasing us with. And then by the end of this season or into next season, you you see him for the true horrific evil that you see in right. the prophecy release chapter, the, the one right. Danfair yeah. being, uh, being tortured. Right. It's a shame, though, because we haven't seen any of that, like, weird religious stuff where he has the dragon horn and he's trying to, like, yeah. yep. enslave gods and all this, all this creepy, like, Cthulhu stuff. It's, it's, he's basically just a berserker. 
Um, but right. yeah, but I think he's sort of, I mean, at the end of the day, even if he doesn't get a marriage out of it, he's still like basically given free reign over the, over the narrow sea, which is kind of all that Ironborn wants anyway, with like the backing of a royal power. He's, he's able to build right. up his navy. Well, who else yeah. has ships? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's plundering to his heart. There are no other ships now. He's got them all. <laughs> he's burned them all down. What I'm wondering, speaking of that chapter, though, is if next week or the week after, we're going to see Yara in the damp hair role, i.e. getting tortured and whatever as a result. So maybe we'll get some of that book stuff here with her. I hope not. I hope not, yeah. Yeah, I think I've I done suspect torture. I hadn't thought of that, <laughs> and now I'm so sad. Yeah. No. He's teasing I thought of that, and I'm too sad. Too sad. I feel sick in my and stomach now, because it could happen. I think it's And done. as well... Sorry, um, he's already treating her like a dog or a pet with that lead around her neck, so it wouldn't be surprising, but I hope not. Although that would kind of parallel and with Theon. Sure it would sort of parallel what Theon went through, like he was being tortured by Ramsay and she tried to rescue exactly. him, and maybe that will be his way of like redeeming yeah. himself, but I hope we don't see any of that. That's, that. that's exactly what I was thinking. It would be very nice, and as well it means she'd be able to understand um, Theon a lot better and what he's been through. Right, yeah. What did you think of Cersei torturing the uh, Sand Snakes? Did they? Was there any sympathy there, or did they, <laughs> they deserve it? My only such, thought... such a great scene. <laughs> Sorry. It was good fun, but I was waiting for the Mountain to rape the daughter personally. Oh, That's God. what I was yeah. expecting to happen. <laughs> right. And I was, I was like, yeah. please don't have it. Please don't. And they didn't go there, so. No. Good. Yay. Thank God. And it was much more vicious too. I thought. Oh, it's cruel. It was very vindictive. It was, it's nice. Yep. It was very much an eye for an eye, which is what they do to each other. So. And it actually, it calls back to a conversation from like season six, where Cersei's talking about imagining Marcella like slowly rotting in her coffin, which mm-hmm. I've forgotten about. But it's um, it's almost like she's trying to um inflict her psychological suffering on others as a way of like expelling it or exercising it or something yep definitely uh, you also have to give a lot of credit to indira varma for all that acting with a gag on she just killed oh, oh, she this just is the best it. this is the best was, acting i was gonna say it like yeah uh, when she spat in front of the throne and just yeah I, she was her look at the mountain I, as well was brilliant went to yeah. yep yep all of it i mean she did more for the look, book it was just it was beyond dirty look it was yeah, it was it was really really good. Um, it's a pity that she didn't get to play the Ilaria Sand from the books because she would have been fantastic. Uh, but it's nice that this might be what her second last scene or the second last episode that she's in, and I I think she came out of it yeah just ah oh, so you couldn't stop watching her. She did so well. Right. Um, yeah, well, no, I, I, I hate I hate in this Anne's Um but I, I thought Alaria was like her acting was fantastic, and that she actually made me feel sympathy for the Sand Snakes, which is a hard deal. Yeah, or at least I'm still that. disappointed that they, you know, the fact that they're not the Sand Snakes that we know and love from the books. Mm. I mean, they, you know, I kept thinking they were really close to Cersei, and if they were the real Sand Snakes, they would have sort of got a headbutt on her or something like that. Yeah. A couple oh, of times be... she came right up close, and because uh, they know yeah. they're going to die, do you know what I mean? Uh, they would have gone down was... fighting if they were true to character, but they were. Yeah. I was waiting but for Alara. I was waiting for Alaria to actually just kick Cersei when she was standing <laughs> up close because yes, she couldn't actually reach Cersei, but you can kick her because I don't think her feet were tied to anything. 
So I was waiting for that to happen, and then it didn't happen. And I was like, you missed a great chance. You could have bit her ears off or something. Yeah, she could have ripped her tongue out. <laughs> but, yeah, but then yeah. they take it out of her Or a punt to something that rhymes with it. Um, yeah. I, yes. I would watch that. Yep, anything. But then her daughter would suffer. She's going to yeah, suffer but anyway. She knew her daughter was going to die rats. anyway. Yeah. Right. And I just think that's at, what the science likes would have done. The ones we know would have done anyway. <laughs> I, I imagine there's. I imagine in Dawn there's like celebrations now that like Doran's killers have been <laughs> right. Tristan, you gotta wonder killers. what's going on down there. Yeah. we'll so never know. I'm sure. Yeah, I can't imagine they support these people. Right. Is that what we're supposed to think that they support Alaria and they won't engage in the war now? Well, they had they ships. Put her hostage. It seemed they like provided they, when Alaria killed Doran, like none of the guards did anything. So the implication was they yeah. they thought he was weak and that they sided with the Sand Snakes. But like killing Tristaf, mm. horrible. There's no characters that do Dorn. Dorn is just it's a mess. mess. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, <laughs> I so think I get, that the show just wants to move on with Doran as much as possible. Right. I, I and they have. I guess it's safe to assume that they're no longer an ally of Danny, like, now that the, the head's been written no. off. No. Well, their ships are, you know, who knows what's going on left down there now. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, right, Dorn is just Ilaria and the Sand Snakes. Tyraus are just Olena. And, well, some of them are now Tarly, Reno Tarly. Right. It's just main character is now represents the entire region, and that's it. That's the show. And to be fair, they don't have time to get into all no, that detail. That's true. You know, that's true. <laughs> they don't have 1,500 pages. Maybe in a couple of episodes we'll have Jamie mentioning that Dawn is in revolt and they're completely unable to hold anything that they had there, and it will just be an offhand remark and something small like that. Does anyone else find it really weird the way that Cersei talks about Marcella? Because Cersei's whole thing is, I'm a woman and I have no, I had no autonomy. I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do and all I wanted to do be is male so I could wield the sword and do things that I wanted to do. But Cersei, in her own twisted way, she only talks about Marcella as a possession. And I guess that shows how self-centered Cersei is. But you think she would have that kind of sympathy for her only daughter of going, well, I don't want you to go through what I went through. So I'm not going to just see you as a piece to be moved. I'm going to see you as a person. But she never talks about Marcella as a person. She only talks about her as something that is owned by her. Yeah. Yeah. I think... The way she's described in the books is like her children are the only things she does kind of love um, more than herself. Right. But the fact that they're dead now, I think possibly it's created a bit of a distance. So they, she can no longer think of them you as think her that children. Marcella was alive, of... she did it though. Oh, uh, did she? Yeah, it's, it's just this really weird like Marcella thing. I, I just get slightly annoyed at. Um, but the other good thing is but... when Cersei was talking about Marcella, like Lena Headey was just crazy eyes just oh, she did well <laughs> it must be really hard to act that well in such a bad wig and she gets really turned on by torturing people because the next scene she's ravishing yeah. jamie which i got a bit of a mad king vibe with from like when he burns people there's an interesting parallel between this scene and the the infamous rape scene in season four because you oh, see right. how the time the power dynamic is now completely shifted and jamie did say no at the very beginning before she and she did it anyways mm. I, I think it's very similar to the way that Cersei treats um, Tana Merriweather in the books 
Cersei mm-hmm. has the power and she's kind of taking on this masculine role, so she takes what she wants, and if that is another person, she'll do it anyway. Right. So, yeah, it's Jamie as Tayana. She claims her rights. Interesting. Yeah, but it, it is also like that, yeah, scene from season four, which shouldn't be spoken about. Sorry. Oh, no, no, it's just, I forgot how angry that scene made me until my eye started doing that weird quivery thing. And Cersei no longer cares that everyone knows that she and Jamie are a couple, which is interesting. funny because, like, that's the catalyst for the whole series, where Jamie pushes Bran out of the window to protect that secret, and now she no longer cares about it. Yep. I guess it's just this kind of ultimate power, and it's kind of the thing that Jamie's always dreamed of, that they would be king and queen, and, and they wouldn't care what the rest of the world, and they just rule over a graveyard, and now... That's what's coming to fruition. I don't think Jamie wanted to be king and queen, but he wanted to be like the Targaryens and just to be out and open about it. I think this episode, you get a shot of his face when he's in bed and he looks happy about having people know about them. And I have a point. That poison does not make sense because how is it you can have it on your own lips and you kiss someone and they die, but you don't die. does not make she, sense. And then she just wipes drank. it off, pretends it's gone, and then goes and makes out with nope, nope. Hubby over there. Ugh. She drank an antidote, so that was the answer, I think. Will Cersei now lose interest if everyone knows about her and Jamie? Like, the oh, two was probably half the fun, and now people know she's like, I actually am not having fun anymore. I liked the sneaking. <laughs> No, but as well, all everyone else is like, damn it, they had to go and wreck it. Why couldn't they just pretend no one knew and didn't want anyone else to know so we could keep <laughs> gossiping? Seriously, why do you have to wreck all the fun? Right. I think it's just part of it. Cersei thinking she's invincible. She doesn't care now. There's no recourse. She's destroyed the um, the sparrow and everyone that would, uh, you know, the ones that would decry that. And there is the history of the Targaryens and stuff. And uh, I don't think she cares. She thinks she can do what she wants. Uh, any thoughts on the Iron Bank scene? Um, I'm sorry, the Iron change. Bank slavery? What the fuck? Like, yeah. have they just turned into any bank and just been like... I, I was trying to figure out in the books, do they mention slavery? No, because Bravos was founded by former slaves. Exactly, right? But it would make sense that a, a, a bank of all places, that would be the first person to kind of like throw off the chains of morals. Well, uh, okay, right. So there's the idea of bankers doing business with slavers. Do they right. do business with the slavers? I don't know. How do they not in Essos? I mean, how would they not? They That would be cutting off like half of the potential sources of income. I feel like they almost have to because, I mean, let's face it, you've got like half the continent is run by slavers. That's it. It's never explicitly mentioned that yeah. uh, in the books whether they did or not. They could. Right. They could not. I, I mean, they would have had to do but, business with them. But uh, I mean, if the implication was that Danny smashing this slave trade had caused such economic chaos that they'd suffered right. for it, that'd be fine. But the fact that he says the slave trade is in a downturn implies that they're directly benefiting from slavery, yeah. which is so anti what Bravos is about. Right. There's, Isn't there's that what profit is? No, no, no. But there's a difference between you directly profiting off the slave trade, meaning that you're investing in the slave trade, and or you're just dealing with these businessmen on other, uh, other deals that may have indirectly or indirectly tied to a slave trade. Right. One like year, one year. The act- difference between, yeah, the difference between bankers in Amsterdam back in the day and the the merchants in England. You know, the merchants in right. England were directly dealing with the slave trade, but they had deals with uh, with the bankers in Amsterdam who were funding their ships. 
Um, but Taiko Nastaris could just be lying. Could just be fucking around with Cersei. Who knows in the show right now? True. I don't know if the show. Is... He rocks up to Dragonstone next episode. So had this fascinating conversation with Cersei. What you can yeah. do about it? That that would be awesome though. If he actually went to Dragonstone and says, "We hate slavery. We love what you've done. We've been playing so Say he's what we know. Something like that." Yeah, yeah, but they won't do but it. I don't. They won't. It's too, it's, yeah, it's too uh, smart. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, she has no money. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah just but she a, has dragons. It was just a way of getting Cersei to have something on the Iron Bank. Yeah, it doesn't really yeah. make sense within the reality of the world. Yeah, and she's like, I'll pay you back in two weeks. What the, that, that is being overconfident, Cersei. But remember that the Reach has pretty much all the money in Westeros right now. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we know that in the, remember, in, unlike in the books, in the show, Castle Rock has no gold left. You know, they've got all the wine, all the food, basically everything in the reach that you need for money. So they've now taken that. So they've basically taken the Bank of Westeros. So that's where the money, I'm assuming, is going to come from in a fortnight, which is just a couple of weeks. So Yeah, that's the way I read it as well. Uh, So we'll go to Winterfell next. So uh, Sansa anticipates that Winterfell will be the primary refuge once the White Walkers invade and orders vassal houses to start sending grain shipments. Littlefinger continues to try and convince her that she needs to dedicate more attention to gain political advantages over Jon and Cersei, but Sansa ignores him. Uh, just then, Bran arrives back at Winterfell, and the siblings embrace. However, as they talk, it becomes clear that Bran is very changed. He is cold and aloof, and demonstrates clairvoyant abilities by recalling Sansa's wedding night with Ramsay, much to her horror. Thoughts on this scene? When it was shown in the trailer, it, it looked like a really powerful, like, that Sansa walking away part looked like a really awesome Sansa just being like, no, I'm fucking owning shit, I'm done. It, when you see it played instead, out, it's not that at all. Very it's, different. <laughs> yeah. It feels like she was needed. <laughs> it feels like she was running away from it, and it looked like she, she was. was having a panic attack about it. Which she probably was. That's what post-traumatic stress yeah. does, you know? Sure, yeah. Like Reek. <laughs> okay, admit it, though. Yeah. Did anyone cry? No, but I think it was really well nope. done. I did. I will admit it mainly because of I thought Sophie really played it so well that it, it, it brought me, even though he was a little creepy, it, she brought me to tears. It was so not, not as many as we will with others, but I liked it. It was so sudden. Was like, I, yeah. I, I didn't have a chance to like yeah. get ready for it because like they did, like the wall didn't even send a letter. He just appears. Right. It, it was weird. And I was trying to think like. Did Sansa know that Bran was alive? Did Theon say that he hadn't killed the, the Stark he, siblings? He actually did. Yeah, he actually did. did. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Because yeah. otherwise, like, you'd be like, what? Are you back from the dead? Um, I just was very, very annoyed at Bran's characterization. He's like the shitty kid at 15 who reads Nietzsche. And exactly. is all like, nihilism. <laughs> and I don't have emotions because I'm above it now. I'm the three-eyed <laughs> raven. I don't need emotions. He just watched Fight um, Club for the first where... time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, that's it. Um, where I, I can kind of understand Bran ending up being that character, but maybe after all the Starks are dead, you know, when all of his emotional con- like contact to the past is now gone and, and they've passed on, I can imagine Bran being like that, but not straight away. Also, well, how pissed off my stands being. She's like, cool, so all of my brothers are discussing my sexual past. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> True. <laughs> 
I mean, he could have used a different example, couldn't he, really? He didn't. Right? Why did he, why did he pick that night? He could have chosen anything to prove his powers to her. Yeah, he was trying to be a little sympathetic, but it didn't work out that well. Yeah. And, he, and he can't explain, Yeah, because really. he just watched Fight silly. Club and had no emotions. Uh, I guess the idea is that, like, he's so out of touch with humanity. I mean, I guess he's, he's only... He left Winterfell as a child, so he hasn't really learned any social etiquette combined with you know, traveling through time and being plugged into a tree. Like, he's just sort of been unmoored from all of that. He he exists in this weird limbo space. But it, it's sad. It's really sad because last season, he still felt like an optimistic little kid. He was really pining right. for home and he was seeing his family members and, and the, the Three-Eyed Raven was saying, you know, you can't stay in these memories, but he really wanted to. Like, he still felt like a human being, but now it's just, it all seems to be sucked out of him. Um, yeah, it was well, so could, sad. Um, it seems, right, it seems like he's changed gears since he plugged into the Weirwood net at the end of the last season, as in, he was still the same person, and then that last time he went in, it's like, it's flipped this way and he is very, very different now. Right. Well, could it also be, you know, we've talked a lot about trauma with a lot of these characters between Theon and Sansa. And let's just remember, he he was just responsible for destroying Hoder's life and have letting him be killed. And I wonder how much that impacted on him too, you know? And I mean, that's off. right, you know? So that whole thing may have messed him up just a little and it may not be surprising that a kid would retreat into, okay, I can't deal with this crap. Oh, it makes perfect sense, um, and it echoes what Arya's sort of state of mind we see uh, a couple right. episodes ago. But it is, I mean, because it's one of those things where you're always, you always want to see the Starks return to Winterfell, the Stark kids being reunited. Right. But the stuff that they've gone through, it can, it can almost never be the same. It can never go back to the nope. way it was. They're so, nope. they're so traumatized by what they've been through that they can't. Obviously, they they love seeing each other again, but it, it just um, they just can't connect in the same way. There's a, like a lot of healing that has to happen before mm-hmm. it can yeah be normal again. Yeah, he's obviously feeling the responsibility of his uh, being the three eye raven as well, I suppose. But, uh, right. He could have explained it better. But the, the other thing I was going to ask, uh, which came up in air, little gang, um, does he? You know, we can see the past, everything that's happened. Has he got the green sight as well in the show or not? Has he got Jojen's visions of the future? Because one of my cousins asked me if um, she felt that Bran had seen something Sansa do in the future, possibly betraying John, and that mm. led to him being so cold and aloof with mm. with Sansa. So it's and not then clear. I, I wasn't clear in my mind if he had the green sight or if it was just the weirwood network that he could. I'm use. not sure it's clear. I'm Isn't not sure it's clear in, in their minds. So we're not sure yet. Maybe we'll find out. That is a good theory, though. I like it. Could anyone understand what Littlefinger was talking about to Sansa when he was saying, like, fight all battles on all fronts and fight in the future and the past? And it almost, like, resembled what Bran was saying. It, it felt like chess. He's saying, get, plan any move that can be done against you so you don't get surprised. The funny thing about it is he doesn't follow his own advice. I mean, he didn't know what to do after pushing, you know, pushing his new wife out the window. He didn't know what was going on with Sansa and Ramsay. He didn't know a lot of that stuff. So it's kind of ironic that he gave her, I thought, good advice, but he doesn't actually necessarily follow it. Or he thinks he follows it, but he doesn't actually follow it. Right. And as well, with that advice, it only works if you know everything that's going on. If you don't know something, then you have a massive blind spot and that's what will get you. And you won't even expect it because you won't think that's a possibility. 
Yeah, it's generally good advice, isn't it, really, that, that you need the information. Like she's over-focusing on the, the battle to the north because that's what's at hand, but there is all the other factors. You can't sort of abandon all that. So I think it's generally good advice. And I was really happy to see her being in charge and getting to not necessarily rule, but getting to show that she is an intelligent young woman and use her mm-hmm. power and show that, hey, I'm not stupid. I do know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I thought that was really nice to see. And mm. it's great to see her grow so much from season it one. Is, yeah. oh, right. I agree. <laughs> Although you could argue what good really is leather going to do on male? <laughs> Yeah, but if you touch nail with bare fingers (laughs) and it's freezing, all of your skin will be ripped off. If you have the leather, that'll at least stop that. A lot of Northmen are going to be really happy that their nipples are still attached to their bodies because there's leather. (laughs) Actually have nipples on a breastplate, yeah. So weird little nitpick I had was, remember when the maester and her were talking and she said, you know, what's the longest, the longest winter you've known? And the maester was like, I don't know. I'll have to look oh, up into yeah. Lewin's, Lewin's <laughs> notes. I'm like, didn't you live through this? Like, or at least a few of them? Like, the don't you know this? <laughs> shouldn't you know this? That's the big one. Shouldn't right? you know? Right? <laughs> like, I coming feel up, like all maesters would be able to Answer list that. the longest winter if you're like 100 years, 500 years a thousand years like you could rattle off any amount of time and they'd be able to do it immediately the only thing i could think is that maybe it was nice to have a little call back to lewin that's all i could think no but all it made me think is get a new maester this one's shit right i agree yeah (laughs) yeah, that's not a good maester get one who knows their stuff get sam hook brand in you know hook brand into the tree we need to talk to lewin there we go yes do it. Well, he, he That'll work. He was the Bolton Maester, wasn't he? He was probably just like, yes. kidnapped uh, during yeah. some battle. Okay, there you go. Do you think Sansa would know anyway, really? I mean, it's the whole thing about the Starks. It's winter, isn't it, really? And it's only the last hundred years that we're talking about. And then she, with her lessons or whatever, you thought she would probably... Yeah, but... The Maester should she... definitely have the knowledge of her. You'd thought she'd know anyway. As well. well, they wouldn't have her study that probably so much. She has to study and... how to be a lady. Yeah. And she had to study houses and things like that. And I don't think, like, um, running a household was her weakest point in the books. And that's where Arya was strongest. So, yeah. I um, I have no idea what they're planning with Littlefinger. It feels like he's been a fifth wheel for this whole, se- or this, yeah. this whole episode yeah. so far. Because... You know, originally he was what brought the um, the Vale Knights into the fold, but now they're already in the fold, and now the Lords of the Vale command their loyalty. So he, he brokered that alliance, but he doesn't actually have any of his own men. He doesn't actually bring anything to the table at this point, other than, like, just sitting around creepily and obviously conspiring against everyone. So I don't know why they <laughs> just kicked him out. I mean, he offers, yes. he offers counsel to Sansa, but she just, like, kind of rejects all of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, but he's just there to creepy perv on Sansa, and she's like, eh, I guess you kind of give me okay advice? Maybe? I don't know. And then I John could watch has an... an entire episode of Sansa just shutting down Littlefinger. She's done so well so far this season. It's right. Uh, get in your place, little man. And he's always leaning against that wall and like raising his eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> Can he stand on his own two feet, man? Do you need to be leaning? He's, he's propping that Is wall. that how you think That's the best? only reason he's there. That's the reason why they haven't kicked him out yet. <laughs> 
I'm waiting for the uh, Game of Thrones Scrubs mashup where Santa just goes all cocks on uh, Littlefinger. She's like, the only way you would be more useless leaning against this wall is if you became part of the wall. But then you would be uh, a, a weight-bearing ba- load and you'd be more useful than you're doing right now. Anyway, <laughs> badly <laughs> paraphrased. Exactly, yeah. All right, uh, let's move on. So we had a brief scene in Old Town um, where Jorah is healed of his grayscale. Oh, sorry, just quickly with the Old Town thing. I love how they just set him free. It's not like the Archbishop right. would be like, cool, you're the first adult of that age that has ever been healed. We are keeping you here forever to study you. Right, or, or even... Gee, you're healed. Oh, you're healed. Go. Like, it's only been, like, what, a couple of hours? Like, maybe you yeah. want to check to see if there isn't some recurrence of it? Yeah, it's like, or, like, tie, wait a month? Tie him down. We need right? to dissect Make him sure. immediately. Right. Or, like, yeah, have a test right. to like, starts getting grayscale. But... Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like... What, what, wouldn't that be an awful time. way for him to go? He just gets dissected, and that's the end of Jorah's story. <laughs> Portrayed in the Old Town Museum. But it's the good. <laughs> Jim Broadbent happily doing it and Sam just crying in the corner. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I guess in the reality of the show, it may have been like more than a month just because armies are moving across continents. So maybe we, maybe it's actually been longer than we think. It, well, he kind, they kind of, it seemed like the next day. I mean, it seemed like it was supposed to be the next day because he literally was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they didn't show it well, but it felt like it was meant to be the next day. I don't know. It can't have been the next day. John goes from winter I'm, to dragon's day. Right, right, right. I refuse to accept. Sorry. <laughs> teleporting. Teleporting. Teleport. Little fingers teleporting. And the removal of those, um, of the grayscale, that was at least at the depth of like a, definitely a second to third degree burn. So you're looking at a month of healing at least. Right. <laughs> so that's probably the amount of time that's passed. It gives, you know, moving armies and it gives you time for John to get to Dragonstone. I, I really enjoy the Sam scenes. Like, he's so optimistic. It's such, like, an right. answer to the rest of the episode. <laughs> oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? Right. Here, you know, the other thing is, I don't know if anyone saw they, like, online posted, actually, like, Game of Thrones itself posted, like, close-ups of a lot of the pages they were reading, and fans did it as well. And in some of the text, there was some talk about a potential, like, ingesting dragon glass could be possibly a cure. And there was no mention of it at all, but yet they went to the trouble of putting this in the text for people to read if you, like, you know, frame and whatever it. And yet they never mentioned it, and it just was just some ointment. I was hoping there would at least be, like, dragon glass in the ointment or something, but apparently not, or or we didn't hear about it. Just an odd choice to set this thing up for, like, the real, like, diehards to see. Maybe it was just a tease, I don't know, but then they never did anything with it. Maybe you have to, like, snort dragon glass to kind of keep the grayscale at bay, and Jorah now has a horrible nose candy problem. He gets hooked on obsidian. (laughs) Yes, in the season eight, he has no septum. He's just snorted it away. Well, but he is heading there. He's heading to where it all is, so. Just this Tony Montana. That's the reason why. Obsidian. He rubs part of the castle and then rubs it on his gums. There you go. So you reckon we, we all think he's heading to Danny? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where else, where else would Jorah be going? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Khaleesi. Going to get the Gendry ferry, I reckon. 
<laughs> it was nice. So it's going to take a couple of years. I, I, liked, <laughs> I liked him thanking Sam and Sam telling him like he owed a debt to his father. Um, yeah. Because in in the books like Jorah doesn't he doesn't like his final words to Sam are like tell tell Jorah I'm sorry or I forgive him or something. So it's right. actually nice that they yeah. actually interact. Is he asking to take the black or something? I can't remember. Maybe yeah. After haven't read that. Yeah, it's something like that. Like taking the back and like everything will be forgiven. It's one of those just come home and everything will be okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, <laughs> isn't he words. supposed to be? Isn't he supposed to be like exiled from from Westeros? Shouldn't the? Uh, yeah. I, I guess yeah. he was gonna. I guess he was gonna die, but shouldn't once he was healed, the the uh, maesters turn him into the Night's Watch? Do they do they know who he uh, is? That's he why you have Danny pardon him. Well, he says he's an anointed knight. Um, I figured they knew who he was. I guess that the closest person to turn him into was the Tyrells, and they're like currently besieged. So he's just like, oh, just go, just get out of here, you. Right. Well, and it was a rule issued by Ned Stark, right. who is technically yeah. still a traitor to the throne. <laughs> so maybe his rules doesn't matter anymore. True. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Westerosi so just... cops just have the worst record keeping ever. It's just the bottom <laughs> of an inbox somewhere. <laughs> Well, maybe. Actually, I mean, if you think about it, would all of the little details make it all across the country? Something like that? Who knows? Here's a question. They had a couple of books to write it down in somewhere. Right. What do you think the odds are that something important is in those scrolls he's reading? Like, likely? 100%. <laughs> oh, 1,000%. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe he slipped in. Like, only reason like... why he's getting punished. Right. It's not oh. even like organize these books, it's rewrite these. And he's like, right. oh, okay. Oh, this is how you cure this and this and this. That's how you kill white walkers. This is how you build the oh. wall. Wait. Oh, Wait. <laughs> it's definitely a step up from Pan Judy. <laughs> Sam should be counting his blessings. He should be. Although I, I love how modest Sam is. I've read medical texts from even just like the 17-1800s describing how they do things. They're impossible to read. So for Sam to be just like, I just read it and followed the instructions. No, fuck off. No, you did not. Like, <laughs> those are hard. Like, they make no sense. They probably barely made sense to the person who wrote them. Just, no, stop stop being modest and just be like, yes, I am God. I can hear all. Because it's also... Uh, throwing some massive shade on other maces like well they just didn't follow the instructions because it dips right? yeah that's what i was saying <laughs> sam's like oh what like it's hard <laughs> they just kept trying to improvise you don't do that just follow the bloody instructions oh my god all right let's move on to the final scene in the episode uh so danny's unsullied launch an assault upon casterly rock and thanks to a secret passageway revealed by Tyrion, are able to storm and capture it However, they quickly realize that the castle is largely empty and then witness their ships being attacked by the Greyjoy fleet. Unbeknownst to Tyrion, Jaime has led the Lannister army out of the Westerlands to attack and capture Highgarden, thus knocking out another of Danny's allies and securing, securing capital for the Iron Bank. Jaime accepts Olena Tyrell's surrender and offers her poison rather than the humiliation Cersei has in store. She drinks it and then taunts Jamie with the fact that he is completely enthralled to Cersei and that Joffrey's assassination was her doing. So rest in peace, Alana Tyrell. Going out like a boss. <laughs> Everyone's there. Yeah. Uh, Diana yes. Rigg, we did not deserve thee. Right. She's so good. Like she elevates the, the writing so much. It like it sounds yeah, so good coming out of her mouth. So dignified. Absolute classic scene, I thought. 
Superb. That's what I was saying. I love the uh, the show and tell aspect of like the battles with Tyrion sort of narrating the. Uh, yeah, well, that was really well done as well. Yeah. I liked it. That was some great editing. Right. Like the people who put that together, it was great. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's called, but I love when a show someone will start talking and then it'll switch to what they're talking about and it becomes narration. Like it mm-hmm. feels so epic. Right. Because you see the plot in motion mm-hmm. and then they subvert the the plan. You realize that it's an unreliable narrator because the plan isn't actually going the way it should. It was a mm-hmm. really brilliant sequence. And it conveyed like nice so sequence. much happened. We got two major battles in the span of like five minutes. Like the show is just moving right. at an incredible speed. Right. Although, did you notice there was almost no actual footage of the battle at Highgarden because, let's face it, it was just a massacre? Because, I mean, who did she really have defending them at this point when presumably all of her bannermen are now against her and attacking? Sure, yeah. <laughs> or that's what we think because there aren't any other bannermen? Yeah, I've got to imagine the Tali just, like, once Tali went with the Lannisters, a lot of the others followed. It was sort of done in secret and they basically let right. them march straight up to, the, up to the castle. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Which then leads to the question of, did you really need all of the all of the Lannister troops for this? <laughs> when you already had their own troops down there for you? You know, could you have won both of them? But... Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess just to be sure. And also, it's almost like any troops you leave in the castle are definitely going to die, so you might as well just take most of them. <laughs> I, think, I think that it was having trapping the unsullied in the castle was better strategically than fighting them than wasting a lot of resources fighting them and blooding yours it was losing a lot of resources doing so it's brilliant i mean now they can't even leave the castle because the ironborn have burnt all their ships they're completely taken out of the equation on the other hand this does assume that jamie knew that Tyrion would be able to get into the castle through the um through the plumbing because you know realistically would he have known that yeah I'm not clear i guess well yeah he he, he knows Tyrion's background I, yeah. I i like it it's two brothers facing off against each other and jamie's able to outthink Tyrion. it but it's nice I to see that it's you know it's, jamie is yeah a good military leader it sort of did Sorry, matter. but i don't yeah because either way the Unsullied would be trapped between Lannister forces. So it doesn't, well, the Greyjoy, Euron's forces, but it didn't really matter whether or not they were in the castle or not. And Tyrion, when he's laying out the plan, he also uh, references Bronn's um, line about impregnating a castle. So maybe it was Bronn that realised that Tyrion would have a secret passage in and actually That's turn, a good point. turn the plot against him. Because, I mean, as we, as we've said, you know, Tyrion is a its a great political mind, but he's not a military mind. That's Jamie and Bronze Forte. Right. So he was easily right. um, outmatched. I do like JB finally being like, yes, I can kill one of my enemies, and Olena just, no, I this one victory you think you have, not mine. Yeah, she sees the just, last yeah. word. The showrunners in the, uh, yeah, in the inside the episode, D.B. Weiss said, um, yeah, she beats him in the middle of her own death scene, and he says it was uh, his favorite scene, uh, like a Lena scene, just because it shows how badass she is, essentially. Which probably most of us agree with, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's also another great callback to earlier events in the series that were so pivotal, pivotal rather, because it, it was kind of like the beginning of the downfall for the Lannisters, because they all kind of turned on each other. You know, uh, Tywin was killed because Tyrion was accused. Um, so it's almost like I, I doubt Jamie's grieving Joffrey, but he's grieving the whole mess that that caused. 
One thing I also like the little references in here again, like for instance, as Jamie was marching up, we heard the reins of Castamere, and I loved his um, his reference of how he learned something from Rob Stark's Whispering Wood victory, um, and the little bit also where he's where I loved during their conversation when when he admits, yeah, um, his situation with her has gotten comp- gone beyond his control. When he admitted that, I liked that. He basically admits he's out of control when it comes with Cersei. She's got it. Which is a big change like from which is a big change from the book because he turns right. against her throughout book four. It's kind of him. It's right. the first time he's yeah. off on his own. He's kind of becoming his own man again, away from Cersei. He has that dream with his mother and then throws the letter in the fire. Whereas he's still enthralled to Cersei. Like he's still kind of controlled by her. He still believes in her. He, he sort of justifies a lot of what she's doing because ultimately it will secure some kind of stability for the realm. But I think Alana's words about her being a monster and him being in love with her really kind of it stuck the knife in a bit. So this mm-hmm. may be the beginning of him falling out of love with Cersei. Like it's got to happen eventually, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah I've got that impression. I've been waiting for it to happen for so long. (laughs) I thought it was going to happen after the blow-up of Scepter Baylor. It was going to happen after he found out about Tommen. Nope, didn't happen. It just doesn't. And it should have happened. Well, on some level, they need to give... I mean, otherwise, she still needs to have these allies. That's why they're bringing in Euron to be big. They're having Jamie. They're ha- giving them some victory. I mean, isn't the first half of this season basically, no, really, this isn't going to be a complete blowout because you have dragons. We're trying to, you know, at least make Cersei seem like a competent challenge here, or else, let's face it, the season would just be like a blowout, which we might love, but isn't really great drama, you know? So you have to have Jamie on her side for now, and then slowly, hopefully, he'll move away, and then that'll be her downfall. And dragons. But none of Cersei's <laughs> victories are her own. Without Euron, without Jamie, she would just be in the throne room demanding things that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it Don't makes... tell Cersei that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense that he's he's loyal to the crown and he's loyal to House Lannister and that he would oppose this this foreign queen invader. But it's more the relationship with Cersei that that still seems so strong. But like you can see the the gaps, like him saying no when she came on to him. Like you can see it's not an equal power balance and he's uncomfortable about a lot of it. And I tend to not like the the scenes where he's with Cersei as much, but when he's off on his own. Um, talking yep. with other characters, he com- he becomes much more char- charismatic and alive. But he's a bit cowed mm-hmm. when he's around Cersei. Right. One other thing I really liked is uh, a, a little thought I had, which is that you realize this is about the second big time that Jamie has showed some mercy. After all, he freed Tyrion, and look what happened. He regretted it because look what happened, right? And now he spared Elena. You know, he he did he let her kill. I mean, she did die, but he didn't do it painfully. He showed her mercy, and how did she repay him by telling him that she killed her <laughs> his son? You know, and oh by the way, tell her. So like this now, and you could see it in his eyes like what did i do <laughs> although he does walk out he does what he could have like i was i was kind of wondering if he was going to like grab the sword and be like well you know what tough but he did just walk out and still gave her that dignity which i really liked yeah that was a great moment what do you think will set him over the edge in terms of cersei like what can she do will it be something involving Tyrion? like threaten to kill brienne no, yes. he catches up with brienne and Maybe. brienne just gives him a massive backhand across the face and be like what the <laughs> fuck man you are on the right path. What are you doing with your shit? Oath Keeper, I kept my oaths. What are you doing? 
<laughs> he has widow's whale now, so he needs to go kill Cersei. She's a widow, so. Hey, oh, that's point. <laughs> yeah, but. so he needs to do that because that's what I'm holding out for. <gasps> because I'm a JB shipper, and I don't think that's happening. So he at least needs to kill Cersei, and then I'll be happy. Or like Brienne just sees him and shakes her head and walks off, and he's like, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, and then he runs after her and it's just like, Brienne, no! Please, kill Cersei for me because I can't do it and she's bad for me. She's like a drug. But Brienne has torment. (laughs) Torment is not the same as Jamie, okay? (laughs) She may not want torment, but she's got... (laughs) She wants... Torment wants Brienne, not the other way around. I know. Yeah, I don't think it's mutual. Clearly. So far. Unrequited wildling love. Brienne likes pretty boys. It has been established. We all know it. She likes pretty boys. <laughs> she was into Renly. She's into Jamie. Pretty boys. Can't argue. And <laughs> Torment's way too ruggedly handsome, so. <laughs> Does that mean she's going to go for John? Ew. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> no, John's the pretty boy. No, no, Pod no, is more no, like no. boyishly handsome puppy type thing, so it's not pretty boy. <laughs> but, like, please don't go for John. Oh, my God. No, Ooh, so. That is not allowed to happen. <laughs> one other mo- one other thing I liked also was a little parallel in that we have a lot of talk and use of poison in this episode. And I kind of like the symmetry of first the scene with Tyene and then, you know, the Olena getting poisoned and then doing the callback to Joffrey's. So we've got kind of like all different aspects of poison affecting the Lannister lives. Yeah. And Olena makes a comment about Cersei being this kind of disease. And I, I wonder if that's connected to the poison and also, I guess, visually to the grayscale that we see on Jorah. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea yeah. that these past vendettas or these past feuds that all these characters harbor grudges over, it basically poisons everything. It's just this kind of rotting mm-hmm. aspect of Westerosi society that perhaps like Jamie glimpses the truth of when he watches uh, Olena succumb to poison while taunting him about poisoning his son. So that's I think that that frames nicely with the John Danny conversation where they they also are harboring these grudges about what happened to their the past mm-hmm. members of their family but they're trying to like transcend it and work together and, and build some kind of future together. Yeah. I like the uh, difference of poison as torture and poison as mercy. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, like it. Yeah. Talking about it now, there's a lot of callbacks to previous events in the series. Lot. And, and a lot of references lot. to sort of the, 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 the dead characters like Tom and Masala, Joffrey all, mm-hmm. all got sort of memorialized. Um, Rickon and Rob are mentioned <laughs> by Danny. It's, yeah. Joffrey gets memorialized and being called a cunt. Which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> is the best kind of memorial. Put it on his tombstone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, and even Ramsey gets mentioned. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, everyone's dead. Like we were watching a um making of, and all, you're having all the the interviews with all the Game of Thrones actors, and just like 90% of them were dead. Yep. Seriously. <laughs> There's just nothing. There's just oh barely anyone left, which is a uh, good good I guess because yeah. you can get a more tighter focus on what's happening. But Dawn's out of the picture. Right. Yeah, and the Reach is out of the picture. And they keep bringing in new characters like with Euron and stuff. So. Yeah, you got to kill some people off Euron's to fit the, them in. The only major new character, I think. Right. They, yeah. They've kind of slowed that down now, but yeah. The only major new character this season is Ar- the Archmaster. The Archmaster. Right. Sure. Yeah. Because Euron was last season. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really like one or two characters. Thing, so it's like Jamie and Cersei, King's Landing. Old Town is Sam and the Maester. Danny, obviously, Dragonstone's got like four or five. 
Everyone. Everyone. North is basically <laughs> Sansa and just a bunch of advisors and Ailish. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and Bran now and Mira. The wall's right, completely yeah. out of the story. It's funny. No, Mira. It's really tight. Right. How? How? Until it comes how down. How pissed does Mira be? Like she she gets Bran to the wall. They just look at Bran. Oh. She gets Bran home and she's just like, can someone just acknowledge me? Am I invisible? Like, can someone well, say thank you? Oh, Mira. <laughs> Oh my yes. god. Like, she looks she pulled a fucking sled and has kept him alive for how many seasons? Like, right. that girl deserves right. a medal and to marry Bran and be happy. No, right. she does not, not deserve that. She yeah. Yeah. Deserves I don't that. think Bran is capable of making anyone happy now. Right? <laughs> yeah. I just want to see, like, next shot, like, next episode, it's just Mira getting back to the neck and, like, crawling up, like, on the couch next to her dad and just being like, it's been so fucking shit. Like, I am never leaving the neck again. I got it. I hate Mira. some frogs and some crocodiles and everything will be okay. (laughs) I think Sansa actually probably does need a friend her own age, though, so I think Mira would be a good fit. That's good. Like, Sansa and Mira are getting along, and then Arya turns up at uh, Winterfell, <laughs> and Sansa's just kind of, like, locked out of the uh, hard-ass younger women club, because it's, like, her, Lady Mormont, are, it's like, yeah, Mira, Lady Mormont, and Arya are just hanging out, doing badass but, things, and Sansa's like, oh, I'll, I guess I'll govern. I can't really <laughs> talk about she weaponry. Might act- <laughs> it when are we going to get a Kraken, anyway? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the books. <laughs> in the next book. Like, honestly, I'd be so happy to have a Kraken just, I'm sick of dragons. I'm so sick of dragons. Well, I mean, we still could theoretically, if we go with the Forsaken chapter, if Yara takes that place, maybe we'll get Kraken from that. <laughs> yes, I'm down. I want it. <laughs> just grabs one of the dragons, pulls it under. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be sweet. Would oh be my good. god, like Jurassic World with the Meteosaur, like just going for that great white. That would be <laughs> the only good part of that film. Down. Yes, just anything. That would be amazing. Or an undead kraken that the, the white walk is wield. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to sleep this century, please. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like. If that happens, I'm never going in the ocean ever again. <laughs> right. I'm done. Never. If it's a I, cold day, I'm like a K away. Never. Dangerous <laughs> enough as it is around Australia, isn't it? <laughs> I might close out the episode. Uh, that concludes Krakencast for this week. If you'd like to join us for an episode, we're probably going to be recording Tuesdays or Wednesdays. We'll see how we go. So check out the forum thread to see what we decide on. Uh, you can also catch the American episode reviews with the Dragoncast and the European episode reviews with the Wolfcast. So thank you for joining me, uh, Dana, Sarah, Bing, David, and Jed. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>
I'm not a virgin anymore. Yeah. Is this your first podcast? <laughs> this is. Oh my God, you sound, you're such a natural. <laughs> I thought you'd done heaps. Oh, thanks. No, no. Um, <laughs> this is my Wait, first. You didn't, you didn't get the grill. I know. I was kind of waiting. No, I was no, kind of waiting for it. Uh, oh, we we can do it in the right. after show if you like. True. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how did it. you How did you get into a song of ice and fire, and how did you find the podcast? Okay, so first, um, I started watching the show about right after the first season aired. I I basically binged them all. Loved it. Um, I started reading the books. I'm not sure. I think it was midway through season two. I started reading the books and got through them as quickly as I could. I definitely beat the Red Wedding to the air. I remember that. So I read them pretty quickly. Um, and I'm I'm one of those who jumps right into things. So I started looking online for various podcasts and stuff like that, YouTube videos. And I found, of course, the podcast of Ice and Fire, um, I think on iTunes. And then from there, was listening to that a lot. I started listening to Vok um, originally with the Game of Thrones episodes, but there's so many I haven't caught up. And then then started listening to the um, the linear reread ones like recently. Um, and then as I've been doing my own reread, I'm kind of going back and listening through them all again. So, <laughs> or for the first time for a lot of them. So that's that. Nice. And uh, what's your favorite character or characters? I, I could, you know what? I mean, I can't, I don't even know all of them. <laughs> I don't really, you know, I mean, I still, I know everyone hates John and Danny. I still like them. Love Aria. I mean, pretty much I like all of them. I, I find I find myself loving the Sam chapters a lot in the books. Yeah. Yes. Um, not sure why, like those are the ones I want to cut ahead to the most. I don't know why, but I kind of love them all. There really isn't anyone that I don't like except Victorian. Hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Right answer. <laughs> don't know why I just hate him. <laughs> it's because Sam is us. Like Sam is Sam is right? the audience. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. He's all like, Sam he, is great he's and the nerd that did good. That's what we right? want to be. Yes. Right. I think Sam <laughs> the... and Davos are probably pretty similar because I think almost everyone loves them. Right. It's universally well liked characters. Yeah, they're they're out of they're their so depth, but, but they're trying to do the right thing. And they've had a lot yes. of good cliffhangers. So you get to the end of the episode, the end of the chapter, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. I know, the good. <laughs> oh man, Davos is gone. I don't know how Davos. I would feel if I met someone who'd read the books and they're like, I don't like Davos and I don't like Sam. I right. just, I, yeah, I can't imagine I think, it happening, but it, someone must be out there that's like that. It would be really interesting. I'd want to quiz them for why they don't like them and be like. What is your motivation for not well, liking them? Because I'd be so interested in it. Well, I guess a lot of people like the more morally gray characters and the more right. evil, twisty characters. So you could see Davos as a bit too simplistically good, right. a bit like, I guess, um, Brienne or John. Well, there's also there's the characters John's you good. like that you relate to, that you like, you'd want to be friends with. And then there's the ones that are like interesting to read about, you know? Yes. Like, you or know, Euron. interesting things happen to them as well. Right. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have a conversation with Euron. I wouldn't want to be in the same room with them. But especially since the Forsaken chapter, I find him, like, one of the most fascinating characters now. And up until that chapter, I kind of hated all the Greyjoy action, except for Theon. So now <laughs> oh, you ask Euron, hey, how you doing? Right. Well, just that, that whole Forsaken chapter was just so crazy. I was just like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> but in any case... I know um, I love reading Theon's Reek chapters. I was just like, going to say that too. They are so good. They were my favorite right. chapters in that book. I was like, these are the best. So interesting. I'm in love. Ugh, want more. And then he got, well, 
he escaped and I'm like, well, I'm not getting any of that anymore. So yeah, <laughs> right. George does such a good job at just writing the most twisted characters and scenarios, like your right. skin crawls yeah. at some of the Reek ones or the and, Victorian ones. Or... Right. And, and what's he amazing... gets how characters would react or how people would react to those situations as well, which right. yeah. really yeah. heightens it personally. He, he brings yeah. such like psychological richness to the fantasy genre, like which is traditionally yep. you know quite sort of good, evil, Simple. simplistic heroes. But he, he he really delves into the psychology of, of trauma usually. Right. Well, it's amazing to me that you know he can take a character like Theon, who you hate, you know, after he betrays the Starks, and then suddenly you he becomes the one like that was the other chapter I, that I think I was just I want to see what happens next because this is so amazingly fascinating in such a horrible 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 way <laughs> i just thought it was amazingly fascinating i was down for the horrible horrible way i was like yes <laughs> give me more it's so interesting best oh I know. He, he makes you re-question like question your original opinions towards characters i really hated sanza and cat um mm-hmm. so much i hated the decisions that cat made um and it's only the i guess listening to the early days of the the linear Reread mm-hmm. that yep. I realized the reason that I dislike Kat so much it's it's because she's so relatable. Like I could see my mother right. making those bad decisions to help her kids. And like you'd be I, I could, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be like, come on, like, but you're doing it out of love, and I, I, and I, and I understand that love, and I think that's what annoys me is that you just was like, no, stop being too good, almost. And like with Sansa, she really annoyed me because I'm a female in my mid twenties. I don't want to remember what it's like to be a teenager. Being a teenager was dumb, and Sansa is dumb, and she's right. written that way, and her decision makes sense. If you look at it like that, instead of looking at her like a a young adult, where you'd be like, oh, no, come on, honey, you, do, right. you can do better. <laughs> but as well with her character, the amount of growth she has is amazing, and True. Um, how everyone's gone from really hating her character or being so infuriated by her character to liking her character or respecting her character or at least understanding her character a little bit more in the later books is fabulous writing on George's part. Yeah, and I think this is also why I'm so against Sansa having, like, you know, being weaponized, essentially, (laughs) is because I I like, I want to see her wield her own, like, that kind of power in her own way, like what she's been training to do, what she's witnessed, and, like, she, she will wield that power so fantastically in my head because she's had all these examples where I get to have the stabby goodness with Arya um, and originally I really enjoyed it and now it breaks my heart and Mm -hmm. because it's yeah it changes yeah I know Arya was my favorite sister in the earlier books but Sans is my favorite one now because I just think Arya's too dark for what I'd like to read personally and I think she's a very very confused girl so I think it's harder to read or at least I don't enjoy reading that as much whereas reading Sansa's chapters I like them more because they are a bit more fairy tale-ish personally and I do enjoy reading that as well. I'm also lucky like I haven't read a lot of fantasy like, I, I read Tamora Pierce when I was younger and Harry good. Potter I I have a few issues with the later books, but the Alana series was fantastic. Um, so good. But I, I don't, because I haven't read Lord of the Rings or haven't read a lot of classic right. fantasy where yeah. John's that kind of archetype 
type character. I'm not sick of him yet because I, I haven't read too right. many books that are based around that character. Yeah, I've seen some of the movies and TV shows and stuff, but not so much of the books because I've, I've, I've always was a comic geek and then got into Doctor Who books. And this is really the first like major series as an adult I've read, you know, yeah. but we I'd all got drawn in. I'd say that's the same for me as well, actually, because I've read a lot of books, but a lot of them have been more young adult ones because I read a lot as a kid and the harder books to read, which I would have been able to read, were too dark for me or weren't appropriate for me. So I haven't gone back and read all of the more adult books yet. And I don't know, I guess I've kind of... I'm not reading I, as much now as I used to, mm-hmm. so I'm not I reading them. I freaked out a lot of my high school teachers because I was in year eight and my dad had told me that he read Animal Farm in high school. And I knew a little bit of the Russian Revolution, so I was 12, 11, <laughs> 11, 12. I was like, I'm going to read Animal Farm. And mm-hmm. I understood it because I knew a little bit about the Russian Revolution and I freaked out my English teacher and the librarian and they're just like, oh no, like you shouldn't understand this why did someone let you know about the russian revolution (laughs) i i actually read it in in english class in ninth grade and we spent all the time talking about all that stuff (laughs) yeah i I just read it myself and then i read like 1984 and i remember i didn't understand the ending and i woke up at 16 and i understood it because you just need that maturity 